I do want to greet you on behalf of our local church, Ramah Christian Center in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we honor the Lord for uh, giving us the opportunity to minister there. And uh, we're into our 36th year and uh, just thanking the Lord for everything that he's doing in the life of our church. I also want to greet you on behalf of our network of local churches where we oversee about 102 churches of uh, ministries uh, throughout this uh, nation and throughout the world. And we thank the Lord for just the privilege he's given unto us to be his servant in his vineyard uh, in the house of the Lord today in Jesus name. This morning, as we begin our time, I would like us to uh, pray, and then we're going to join together in John chapter 10. So let's pray together. Father, your word is declared that I has not seen, neither is ear heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men, the things that you have prepared for us, but you have revealed them unto us by the Spirit. So, Father, we thank you today, Father, for all the wisdom and the grace that you've given unto us. I pray now that you will just, by the Spirit of God, Take the word that you've given unto us and take it off the pages and minister it into our hearts. And Father, we thank you for everything that you're about to do. Breathe on the word. Father, elevate our lives so that we can never be the same. And you have given us a promise called abundant life. Father, we hope and we pray and now we believe and we confess that we've entered into it and we will experience it in Jesus name. And everyone say it. Amen. Amen. As I was preparing for our time, I was musing over the gospel of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as found in the book of John. John chapter two is uh, 10 is where I ask you to draw your attention to. We'll anchor our thoughts in John chapter 10 and verse number 10. But John is one of those fascinating books. Each one of you who study the Bible understand that the gospel writers take a different view of Jesus, each one taking a little bit different view of who he is. Matthew wants to show him as a Jewish Messiah. Matthew quotes more connection with Jesus and the prophets than any of the other writings about the Lord Jesus Christ, the man, the ministry, and the message of Jesus Christ. Matthew shows him as the Messiah. Mark shows him as a servant of God. Mark is our original gospel. Marcus Serenius is what some of the historians call him because he was from the area of Cyrene. His mother was a Cyrene. Mark is uh, our original gospel. He shows Jesus as a servant and he shows the action of Jesus. Suddenly and immediately are the two scriptures or the two words that are used in that gospel. Luke is a physician. And so Luke is more concerned with the humanitarian nature of Jesus. He shows him as a son of man. And that's one of his favorite terms for Jesus Christ, son of man. And because he is a physician, Luke has two treatises in our scriptures and in the corpus of scripture. He writes the book of Luke as well as a continuation to his friend Theophilus, the book of Acts, which covers the first 30 years of the early church uh, from about 33 AD when Christ ascends all the way out to about 64 AD. Paul is still alive in jail, waiting for trial in Rome at the end of that book. And Acts covers about 30 years. And Luke uh, shows us the humanitarian work of Jesus Christ. Jesus dealing with the people that live on the margins in the book of Luke. The have-nots, the unincorporated the disenfranchised. And then he shifts and begins to show the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Some people just call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. When you look at the Gospel of John, though, John takes an entirely different approach. The Johanna scriptures, John, the epistles of John, the Revelation, John shows in his Gospel that Jesus is indeed God manifested in the flesh. 
He starts off in John chapter 1 by saying that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. John chapter 2, John then shows Jesus as a miracle worker, turning water into wine. John chapter 3, he shows him as a teacher come from God and uh, doing miracles. And when Nicodemus comes, that's how he identifies him. We know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do the miracles that you do except for God. Be with him. John chapter 4, he meets a woman at the well and he shows himself as a great evangelist. She identifies him as a prophet in John four nineteen. John chapter 5, we see Jesus doing humanitarian work. And we see him now healing a man that was lame from his mother's womb. We see him with compassion doing the work of healing. John chapter 6, we see Jesus feeding 5,000 folks at one time. And Jesus is not only concerned about our spiritual need, but also our natural need. In John chapter 7, Jesus goes up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And a lot of John's uh, writings are around the Feast, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. And Jesus then identifies himself as the living word and the living water. John chapter 8, Jesus then forgives a woman caught in the act of adultery. Though he's God, he still is a forgiving God. And there's nothing that he will not forgive if we just ask. John chapter 9, he cures a man born blind. And then we start getting into some of Jesus' self-disclosures. Where Jesus starts telling you who he is. You don't have to guess now. You don't have to hear other people's testimonies. Jesus starts using these I am scriptures. And in John chapter 10, in these self-disclosures and the rest of the book, John, he, in chapter 10, he begins to say, I am your good shepherd. And the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We get to John chapter 10 and verse number 10, and Jesus makes this astounding statement that the thief comes not but for the steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, friends, I really believe that leaders, leaders elevate elevate the lives and the communities around them. I believe that you and I who are called to lead the earth, I believe that's what humanity was called to do. Lead the earth. The original mandate given to Adam was to be fruitful, multiply, replenish your earth, to do it and have dominion over it. I believe that that original mandate is still upon mankind to lead the earth. And I believe that when you and I are leaders, we ought to elevate the lives and the communities that are around us. And Jesus as a leader, he's my model for leadership. Though I read about a lot of other leaders, Jesus is my model. He says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is a communal God. So he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I came that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. see... In one translation, it says a Jew. In this one, it says a day. And I want you to understand that God is a communal God. He wants everybody's life lifted. He wants his life, your, your and my life, to be life as he designed it. Now, I give you a working definition so that we could all start off together. What is abundant life? A life, abundant life, is a life where all your needs are met. A life that is full of righteousness, peace, and joy. And it's also well-adjusted in life's six major areas. 
in your spirit, your soul, your body, your family life, your social life, and your economic life. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now the notes that we prepare for you and that definition that's there. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life is when all your needs are met. That's Philippians 4, 19, where it says, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, listen, I believe that abundant life is, first of all, where all your needs are met, where you have all your needs met and have enough left over to give away. All your needs are met, have enough left over to give away. So abundant life, first of all, is a life where all your needs are met, have enough left over to give away. And it is full of righteousness, peace, and joy. That would be Romans 14, 17. That says that the kingdom of God, that's the community of God. The community of God is the community as God imagines it. That's the kingdom of God. When you read about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, it's the community as God imagines it. So when you read the parables, when you read Jesus' statement, thy community as you imagine it come. Your will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God is community as God imagines it. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, abundant life includes righteousness, peace, and joy. Right standing with God and man. Peace. I have the peace with God, the peace of God, and I become a peacemaker. I have the peace of God. Peace with God. And I become a peacemaker. And joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy comes because I'm in right standing and have peace with God. Happening causes me to be happy. But he came that we might have joy. And then a life that's well adjusted. I look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23 where it says that the very God of peace presents your whole spirit, soul, and body. Whole and blameless before the Lord. I really believe that when God calls us. He wants us to be whole in our spirit, soul, and body, our family life, our social life, and our economic life. Those six major areas make up your life. And when you and I have abundance and we're well balanced in all those areas, it's great. In my city, we just witnessed in our newspaper some people going through a very nasty public divorce because an executive learned how to make lots of money but forgot he had a family. And friends, when you and I get out of balance, it can be dangerous. There's sometimes I go to the gym and I find guys in there and they're throwing weights over their head, man. They're pumping lots of iron. We go to the steam room or to the sauna afterwards to kind of relax our muscles. And I'm sitting in the steam room and people, men in the steam room, what do you do for a living? And what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a preacher. And a guy says, preacher? And he says, I don't have time to go to church. I said, aren't you the guy I just saw pumping all that iron out there? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, you're just going to hell in good shape, eh? And uh, so sometimes people just get out of balance. And abundant life is a balanced life. Look at your neighbor and tell them, stay balanced, stay balanced. So an abundant life is a life that where all your needs are met, as a life that is full of righteousness, peace, and joy, and is well-balanced in life's six major areas, spirit, soul, and body, your family life, your social life, your economic life, 
It's a good working definition for abundant life, life as God imagines it. Now, there's an enemy to abundant life and community life. He's called the thief. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He comes to steal our identity, kill our dreams, and then destroy our life. As a reference, you may want to think about these three scriptures. They come right at the end of the book of Genesis where you see the thief stealing, killing, and destroying. He comes to steal your identity. That would be the story of Jacob and Esau, where Jacob plots together with his mother and they steal Esau's identity and Jacob gets the birthright and now Esau is angry and becomes murderous. He wants to kill his brother. Identity theft didn't start when you got a checking account and a cell phone. You ought to read the Bible sometime. Way back about 2000 B.C., Abraham's grandkids, they practice identity theft. And you know what? The entity wants to steal your identity because your identity answers the question, who am I? He comes to steal your identity. He comes to kill your dream. That would pick up with the story of Joseph, Genesis 37. And Joseph was a man that was given the dream. A dream is a pictured goal. What God has for your preferred future. And Joseph is a dreamer and some dream thieves rise up in his family. They want to kill his dream. They plot together and conspire together. Tear his coat off. Put blood on it. Sell him into slavery. And then tell the father that a wild animal took him out and he's now dead. There are dream thieves out there. That if you share your dreams, they'll tell you every reason you can't do the God-given vision and dream he put in your life. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He actually wants to destroy your life. So Genesis 27, he comes to steal your identity. Genesis 37, kill your dream. And then when you get to the book of Exodus, now we have a Pharaoh that's killing babies. And people. Both men and women. Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 1 through 3, is now being a hard taskmaster on the Hebrew children that have given him wisdom to help him make it through a famine. And now he's killing them and God has to send a deliverer when they cry out to the Lord. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He comes to steal your identity, kill your dreams, and destroy your life. But God says, I have come that you might have life. And have it more abundantly, a life where all your needs are met, full of righteousness, peace, and joy. A life that is well-balanced in life's six major areas, spirit, soul, and body, family life, social life, and economic life. God wants you to have abundant life. Now, here's my statement to you today. While you are unmarried or married, I want you to have a rich, full, abundant, satisfying life. Don't put your life on hold waiting to get married. All the single people say it. Okay, I heard one on the front row. All the single people said. You know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, when I get married, I'm going to go on a cruise. When I get married, I'm going to buy a house. When I get married, I'm going to take my dream vacation. Look at your neighbor telling, do it now. <laughs> Listen, while you are unmarried and when you are married, live a full, satisfying life. Don't put your life on hold. Jesus was unmarried. Remember that. And my model for le- uh, leadership comes from a man that was unmarried. 
And friends, one of the things I think that is important for us to understand is no matter where our station and our space is in life, God wants us to have a rich, full, abundant, overflowing life. He wants us to have an abundant life. And so when you and I are unmarried or whether we're married, we ought to have a fulfilled and a satisfying life. And friends, I really believe that there are some guidelines that can help us to do that. Here we go. We're taking off seat belts and tray tables in their upright and locked position. We have now taxied down the runway. We are now ready to take off. Here are some guidelines to help people and communities such as Faith Christian Center elevate life and live an abundant life. First of all, life is measured in seasons. And I believe we ought to enjoy every season God gives us. Now, listen, if you enjoy every season God gives you, you won't have to try to relive seasons when you get old. Every now and then you find old people trying to relive a young season in their life. And it's embarrassing. (laughs) Because they missed a season or didn't enjoy that season. So they get old and they try to recapture it. So I'm telling you this morning, enjoy every season. Ecclesiastes 3 says that everything, there's a season and a time for every one of God's purposes under heaven. So on your journey into this abundant life, enjoy every season. First of all, enjoy a season of discovering your purpose. Abundant life makes sense once you understand what your purpose is. Your purpose answers the question, why do I exist? And friends, your purpose is why you exist. Listen, what did the creator have in mind when he created you? He had something on his mind. And what was the original intent of the creator before you were born? You see, purpose is discovered over time. Why do I exist? Do I exist just to get on everybody's nerve? Well, I do get on people's nerve, but that's not my purpose in life. No, the creator had something in mind. I love Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 5. Because when Jeremiah is being called, Jeremiah is uh, struggling because of his age and because of his youthfulness. And you know what? Jeremiah chapter 5, is. God says, listen, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. God had something on his mind before you and I were. And part of discovering of our purpose, not just what we do and where we work, is to get in the mind of God and say, why do I exist? What does planet Earth need before I exit planet Earth? Because once I discover my purpose, I know what I need to pour into the community of believers and into the community in which I live and into the world in which I live so that the world can benefit from the time that God has given unto me. You see, my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to develop leaders that would change our world. That's the only reason I exist. I want to develop leaders that would change our world. That would go into the world, its systems, as well as go into the world, the nations, and change our world. 
I developed the world systems as seven major sectors of society. And those seven major sections are arts and entertainment, business, direct media, uh, congregations, direct media, education, families, and government. I want to develop leaders that can invade every one of those sectors of society and change them so that the kingdom of God might be manifested in planet Earth and we can see the community as God imagines it. When these systems are healthy, arts and entertainment, congregations, direct media, education, families, and government, uh, the society is healthy. When uh, any number of those begin to have failure, the society becomes in crisis. And when multiple systems fail, society is in trouble. When you look at the book of Acts, you'll see under the ministry, especially of Paul, that as they begin to take the gospel to various nations that are called Gentile nations in the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 13 to the end of the book, as they invade those nations, they also begin to address these systems. And they begin to change it because Jesus gave us two things in the great command the great commission. He said, go to the nations and go into the world. And friends, one is to go to the ethnos, every person of every race, of every nation, all the world. And the other one is go into the cosmos, invade the systems of man and proclaim the gospel. How do I proclaim the gospel? I say it and then I live it. One is my verbal witness. One is my quiet witness. We are called to be salt and we're called to be light. And let men see your good works. And discovering our purpose will help us to be effective wherever God permits us to elevate and permits us to move. Enjoy a season of discovering your purpose. Before you die, find out why you were supposed to be here. Miles Monroe used to say you have no, re- you have no right to die until we know you have been here. When you die, don't enrich the cemetery. Don't die with books inside of you that we should have had in the earth. Don't die with songs inside of you that we should have in the earth. Don't die with poems inside of you that we need in the earth. Do not die with compliments that were never given. Letters that were never written. Manuscripts that were never developed. Pamphlets that were never published. Don't enrich the cemetery. Die empty. And when you and I understand our purpose... We can pour it all out. Second Timothy chapter four, four, Paul says at the end of his life, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. And friends, when I discover my purpose, I can enjoy a season of discovering my purpose. When I enjoy my purpose, and secondly, I can enjoy a season of, of, uh, of, of preparation. You know, only people that are going somewhere prepare. Preparation is important to people that are going somewhere. Now listen. Time is only important to people that are going somewhere. Because when you are going somewhere, there's times and seasons for that destination. Preparation always is asking what's next. I, as a human being, and you as human beings, have the ability to enjoy the moment, but always ask what's next. Have you ever been eating a good meal And you're enjoying that meal and sometimes you can't even eat it all. And you order a white box to take the rest away. But while you're ordering a white box, you say, I wonder what's for dessert. (laughs) We haven't finished what's in front of us. But now we're asking, what's next? And friends, I believe that that becomes important because you and I as human beings have the ability to live in the moment. 
but always project and prepare for what's next. I want you to know that God has a next in your life. Where you are right now is not your final destination. And so prepare for where you're going. Don't just settle with where you are. Look at your neighbor. Help me preach and say, prepare for where you're going. Tell them, don't just settle for where you are. Yeah, you see, I've discovered that leaders have to prepare while other people play. And friends, I believe that your my preparation takes us to where we are going later on down the road. Preparation positions you to exploit open doors and opportunities. I'm not a preacher that uses a lot of formulas. Some people have that grace on their life. But there's one formula that I have discovered out of Joshua 1, 8, which says this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but therein shall you meditate day and night to observe, to do all that's written therein, for then you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. Joshua 1, 8 lets me know that good success is a portion of my destiny. But hear me well. When I look at Joshua 1, 8, that I equate the John 10, 10, Joshua 1, 8 doesn't come just by accident. It comes by preparation. And I found that when preparation and opportunity meet, you have good success. P plus O equals S. Preparation plus opportunity equals success. Success is a progressive realization of the predetermined dreams, vision, and goals God has given unto you. And if you want to have the progressive realization of the predetermined dreams, vision, and goals God has given unto you, you will have Good success. Under point number two, uh, prepare or enjoy a season of preparation. Listen, before even Jesus came, there was a prophet named John that came in front of him. And you know what his whole message was? Prepare the way of the Lord. Even Jesus needed a preparer in front of him. And then Jesus prepared for his church. And then the church is preparing for his coming. Enjoy a season of preparation. Listen, enjoy a season also of pursuing your goals in life. Listen, God gives us goals. Those are objectives that he wants us to accomplish on our way into this abundant life. And the proof of desire is pursuit. Psalm 27, verse number four said, one thing I desire of the Lord and that will I seek after I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The proof of desire is pursuit. And when God sets a goal in our life, our goals are our internal desires for achievement. Everybody wants more. I was in Zimbabwe one time when I was there. I heard Mozambique mentioned here this morning. Uh, when I was in Zimbabwe, Mozambique was in civil war at that particular time. And a lot of Mozambicans came over the border to Zimbabwe and they were in what was called refugee camps. The government had gone out and ran running water into the refugee camps at that particular time so that the Mozambicans could have water in those particular camps. And uh, the church that was hosting me from Harare, we went out to the camps to deliver goods and services to the camps one time in our missions trip. And when I was there, they said, one of our members of our church lives in this camp. We won one of these ladies to the Lord, and she now lives here. So we went to go visit her. The lady, when we came up to a little house is what it was, but it was thrown together with really some sticks and some straw. And she said, and they said, uh, and they called her name, and they said, we're here from the Rama Bible Church And she said, just a minute, I'll be out in a moment. And when she came out, she kind of backed out of her house 
as she was sweeping with a brush the floor as she came out the house. My thought when I looked at her was that the floor in her house was dirt. And I looked at her kind of bewildered and I saw her sweeping dirt out of her house and she had a dirt floor. And I guess she noticed the puzzled look on my face and she said, Sonny, she said, just because you live on a dirt floor don't mean you got to be dirty. She had a vision beyond the dirt floor that she had. And friends, I don't care where you live in life. There needs to be goals that let you know no matter what your station in life is, that's not your final destination. That you can clean up, that you can build up, that you can lift up, that you can raise up out of any condition you find yourself in. And those become goals for achievement. See, your goals are God-given and planted desires for accomplishment. And I believe that every one of us is believers in Jesus Christ. There's a little word inside of us called more. Look at your neighbor and tell them there's more inside of you. Okay, some of you are whispering. Use your outdoor voice and say, there's more inside of you. Whatever we have achieved is our past. But I really believe there's always more inside of us. And God comes because he came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And I love exploring the ways of the spirit inside of us to see what level of accomplishment and achievement God wants me to do this year. Because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly as we enjoy this season of preparation and pursuit of goals. Uh, God comes that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And one of the ways that we get that stirred up in us is in the house of the Lord. That's why I love the house of the Lord. Because David said, one thing I desire, that will I seek after. I may dwell in your house all the days of my life. Behold the beauty of the Lord and quiet in his temple. Number four, we need to enjoy a season of discovering our potential. Because on the way to discovering and pursuing our goals and also, uh, then we begin to discover potential. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, I've discovered that God will enter you into some places that can be very stressful. He didn't cause the stress. We just feel the pressure of the space that he puts us in. But friends, what I've discovered is he gives us ample potential inside to achieve the goal once we enter into that space. Friends, I have discovered in life that my potential is everything that I could do but have not yet done. My potential is the deep reservoir of untapped abilities. I'd love to explore the ways of the spirit in me and in others. I can see people doing things that they can't see themselves do. But I give them an opportunity to do it. You see, your potential is your hidden strength. You have a treasure inside your earthen vessel, says 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. You have a treasure inside of you, a treasure inside of you, a rich, full, abundant supply. And that potential is what you have not yet done, but could do. 
Friends, I want you to understand, your potential is your unused success, and God pulls on that every day inside of you. And I don't care what level of achievement you have, you and I can do more. Potential is your unused success. I have a friend, her name is Dr. Cassandra Suggs-Williams. When Dr. Uh, Suggs, uh, when Cassandra went to undergraduate school, she went there to become a medical doctor. And somewhere along her journey in undergraduate school, they asked her what her goal was, and she said, I want to go to medical college and a counselor told her you don't have the intelligence to go to medical school that university counselor would not even sign off for her to take the courses eventually she had to transfer out of that university and go to another path even though she had high academic achievement because somehow this person didn't see the potential inside of her do you know what? She graduated with honors, went on to medical school. She is now one of the leading physicians inside of our city. Many of my members in our congregation use her as their primary physician. And one of her greatest joys was to go back to that university after she graduated from medical school and show her medical degree and then chasing that counselor and said, don't you ever tell a student what they cannot do. Sandra comes from good stock. Her mother has a master's degree. Her dad has a master's degree. Both of them are school teachers. But Cassandra knew that there was something inside of her that said, your goal in life is to be a medical doctor. And she would not let that word curse that somebody placed on her life limit her to where she needs to go. And how many people in life, they're limited from moving into their abundant life because a parent or a sister or a brother or a cousin or a family member or a counselor in school or society says, you don't have the ability to get to this place. I want you to know you can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens you. And when you step into that space that people think that you don't belong in, one of the greatest joys in life is to step into that space, look at somebody who told you you couldn't make it, wink at them, and then keep on moving. It's one of the greatest joys in life. Friends, I want you to know that you and I ought to enjoy seasons of discovering the potential that's inside of us. We ought to enjoy a season of number five, of processing through relationships. Oh, Lord, help me on this one. Sometimes the people that you start with are not the people that you finish with. And Jesus had to process through all kinds of relationships. And friends, processing through relationships is just... Part of life. In Matthew chapter 9, verse number 10 and 11, it says, And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, the publicans and the sinners came and sat with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth thy master with publicans and with sinners? Jesus has friendlies and hostiles in the same room. And sometime in life, you and I have to process through people that will celebrate us and then people that will hate us. And there are celebrators and there are haters. I used to ask the Lord, why do haters hate? He said, because they're haters. (laughs) And friends, Jesus had this group of people that just hated him. 
called Pharisees. And then there was another group called the Sadducees. And friends, you and I have to process through these relationships. Now, the goal of processing relationships is to find healthy ones. Here's what I've discovered in enjoying this season. First of all, I had to discover that all relationships are spatial. Not special. Spatial. They take up a certain amount of space in terms of time, in terms of energy, in terms of importance, in terms of time allotment. They're spatial. I said that to a preacher one time and his wife in a counseling appointment when they were driving home. He said to her, did you hear what the apostle said? He said that our relationship is special. (laughs) And his wife said, no, I think he said it's spatial. So when he called me back, he said, what did you say? I said, our relationship is spatial and I'm trying to determine how much space I'm going to give you. There are some people that in some season of life, they take up a large space. And then as we move towards our purpose, they take up less space. So fill these in as we go. Listen, redefine unhealthy relationships because they are spatial. And there will always be a certain amount of unhealthy relationships that we are uh, have in our life. And those unhealthy relationships will help us to grow and teach us how to love our enemies. <laughs> teach us how to love our enemies. Sometime when I said, God, why won't this person just go away? He said, I'm trying to teach you how to love your enemies. I said, okay, Lord, teach me how to do that. Okay. He said, teach me how to do that. Now, I'm not their enemy, but they thought that I was hostile and adversarial to them. Then a reposition, transitioning relationship. Some things uh, are temporary people that come into our lives and we have to reposition them because sometimes they are there just for a moment and don't do permanent things with temporary people. I've seen people do that. They do permanent activities with temporary people. And I've seen young ladies do that and they get stuck with a bubba baby. Because they did some permanent activity with Bubba, but he was a temporary space in their life. And then they got to raise Bubba babies. So reposition, transitioning relationships. Now listen, rediscover, restore relationship because there are some people that may not have been healthy at one time. Then they get healthy and you and I get transformed. And when we come to this space in our life, now it's time for them to enter our lives. And we have to redefine that relationship. Case study, John Mark with Paul. They leave the church at Antioch, Acts chapter 13. John Mark quits on the missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas argue over whether John Mark ought to go on the next missionary journey. John Mark goes with Barnabas, Paul takes Silas, and they split. At the end of Paul's journey, Paul is saying, Luke is with me. He said, Timothy, do your best to come and bring my cloak, bring my papers, and bring my, and bring my books in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And then he also says, now bring John Mark to me now. Because he's profitably for the ministry. 
And sometimes people have failure in your life at one time. And now God has fixed them. And he wants them to re-enter your life and they can be a help to you. And you and I need to know how to handle restored lives. In my county where I live, we have 50,000 people that return to my county every year that come either out of the workhouse, out of jail, out of state prisons or federal prisons. 50,000. 50,000. I don't know how many come here. I live in a city that's almost uh, one and a half million people. About 50,000 folks. And friends, we have to learn how to deal with those citizens because those citizens come out and they paid their debt to society. That's our figure of speech. But now they need jobs. They need housing. They need to progress in life. Otherwise, we have 50,000 people that become a public nuisance. And so we had to say, what can we do to help people live restored lives? Or is our city just going to be for perfect people who never did anything? And friends, I have to be able to locate John Marks, who may have had failure at one time, and say, but I want to restore you. Why did Paul do that with John Mark? Well, if you read Peter's writing, his epistles, Peter at the end of his letters was saying, so-and-so greet you, this one greet you. And then he says this, he says, John, my, Mark, my son, is with me. Mark, my son, is with me. Most commentators would tell you that Peter meant John Mark. It seemed like Barnabas found Peter and took John Mark to Peter. And somehow with John Mark and Peter's interaction, John Mark got healed, got fortified. And John Mark was now useful for the ministry. Why Peter? Because Peter was a man that had failure himself. And isn't it just like God to take a man that has had failure and put him with another man that had failure but got restored? And say, show him how to deal with failure and make him useful so that when Paul called upon him, he could say, Mark, my son is here. And Paul could say, bring him to me. He's useful for the ministry. Listen, reposition transitioning lives, but also rediscover restored relationships. And listen, reallocate space for new relationships. This will all lead this community to abundant life. There are some people that left this church. You and I have to check our hearts when they return. Because it's easy to say, you left, you on punishment. You think you're going to just step up in here and just reassume your seat? No, 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 no. Things done changed around here. We got new seats now. It's easy to do that. But the house of the Lord is a restorative community. And you and I need to know how to rediscover, restore relationship, and then reallocate space for new relationships. New people come into our lives. And many times our space is so cluttered with old relationships, we need to make space for new. Increase your circle of love because you have new people. I saw them raise their hand today that visited here for the first time. And we need to reallocate space for that time. At some point in time, change seats when you come in the auditorium. Go sit in another section. I remember one time, my wife and I, we have our, our sides of the bed that we usually sleep on, you know. And I remember one night, 
I was in bed and she got up to go to the restroom and I just rolled over on her side. She came back in the bedroom in the dark and she said, what you doing over here? I said, I know what it's like over there. I just rolled over here and see what's happening over here. She said, well, roll on back over there to where you are. Listen, every now and then you ought to explore new spaces. Explore new spaces. I don't know what's happening down here on this front row, but y'all need to pray for this group down here, okay? Listen, enjoy a season of progress. I love the story of Abraham. Abraham's story starts off all the way in Genesis chapter 12, stretches almost with his family when you look at Isaac and Jacob and then the great-grandchildren. And Abraham is taken out one time and God in Genesis 15 verse number 5 He says, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now towards the heavens and tell the stars. If thou art able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall your seed be. And he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Every now and then, God needs to expand our vision and says, look up, because this is what you think I want to do with you. But this is really what I want to do with you. I want to see God in this church as a community. Expand our vision for more. You see, progress is moving forward in the right direction to the desired end. And that is to the vision God has given unto us. And progress is moving forward in life. Six major areas in your spirit, soul, and body, your family life, your social life, and your economic life. But also moving forward in these seven areas of influence. Enjoy a season of progress. Progress is the adventure in our kingdom. Because progress means you're stepping into new spaces. And those new spaces can be intimidating. But you don't have to be given over to a spirit of fear. I remember a few years ago, I stood on a stage and I saw 30,000 men standing in front of me. Never preached to a male only crowd that large before. And when I was standing back in the, in the, in the, in, on the backstage and in the green room, I kept running to the bathroom, had this nervous disorder. I said, oh, God, oh, God, help me, help me. I knew I prayed and prepared, but I was just nervous. And I'm standing back here doing internal chatter. Has anybody ever gotten themselves in a message? You're standing there doing internal chatter like another fine mess you've gotten yourself into scales, you know. And yet I believe God that God, I believe that you gave me this assignment. I believe I've done my prayer and my preparation and my fasting and and I believe that I'm ready for this moment. But God, if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen. And when I stepped out on that platform and ministered there with the time allotment they gave me, God showed up. And I said, thank you, Lord. And friends, I learned how to progress even through my fear. I heard Kenneth Copeland one time talk about fear. And the thing that I took out of his speech is sometimes fear comes, faith answers, and no one is there. And I said, so sometimes you just got to do it scared. You might be nervous, but step up. And watch the anointing, the empowerment of the Holy Ghost kick in. And accomplish God's purpose inside of you. So enjoy a season of progress. Number seven, enjoy a season of promotion. As I begin to bring this in for a landing now, we're getting ready to 
start our descent. Joshua chapter 3, Joshua all the way through the book of Exodus, Numbers as well, is called, is called Moses' servant. But you know there's a time in this season of promotion that in Joshua chapter 3, verse 7, after Moses has died, it says, the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to magnify thee in the sight of Israel, all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There's a time when God wants to bring you out of the cave, David, and bring you before Judah and then all of Israel. There's a time, Joshua, when God wants to bring you from among all the ministers and he wants to bring you to being the key leader in front. I wrote this note last night as I was musing over these notes and praying because, listen, it says here in, jo- in, in Psalm 75, verse number six, it says promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west or from the south. But God is judge and he put it down one and he set it up another. Friends, I wrote this down last night for Faith Christian Center. Tell the church members to stop refusing promotions in your vocation. Some of you have been asking God to do more in your life and you've been offered promotions and advancement and you keep refusing it. The reward of faithful work is more work. Jesus said, if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over what? Many things or more. The reward for being faithful over a little bit of work is more work. And friends, sometimes we get subpar leadership because good leaders won't step up. So instead of getting the palm tree leading, we get the bramber bush leading. Because good leaders just won't step up. And friends, when God wants to promote you, take it. I love the book of Daniel. Because when I was looking at the book of Daniel, uh, just, just, uh, just think about Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is tested in his diet. And you know what? When he holds to the diet of the Lord, he gets promoted. Next of all, Daniel is tested in his wisdom. Whether he's going to have the wisdom of the Chaldeans or the wisdom of God, he passes that test. He's promoted. Daniel is then tested in his worship, chapter 3. You know what? He passes that test and he's promoted. Daniel is then uh, tested in his courage because he receives a truth about what's going to happen to the king in chapter 4. And he speaks truth to power. And Daniel is then promoted. Chapter 5, Belshazzar sees some handwriting on the wall. And Daniel comes in and pronounces a judgment with boldness. And you know what? Daniel is recognized for promotion. And finally in chapter 6, when the king makes an edict that there should be no more prayer in the kingdom, guess what Daniel does? Daniel goes to his window and opens it towards Jerusalem. And he kneels down and he prays as he had done aforetime. And everybody in the city saw it. And he passed the prayer test in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. Every time Daniel passes a test, he receives a promotion. And friends, I want you to enjoy 
a season of promotion. Here's what I heard. Point number eight for Faith Christian Center as well. Not only receive a season of promotion, but I believe that this is a season of fulfilled prophecy. A lot of prophecy has come over this faith community. A lot of words have been spoken over this faith community. And I heard God said that this faith community is going to enjoy a season now of not just more prophecy, but fulfilled prophecy. You see, moreover, Psalm 78, 67 says he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and he chose out of the tribe of Ephraim and he chose of the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built a sanctuary in the high places like the earth. Psalm 78 and verse number 70 said, and he chose David as his servant and took him from the sheepfold. And from following the ewes, and he says, uh, and uh, 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 the ewes great with young. And he says, and he brought him the lead and to feed Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. And when, when David was brought forth, he fed them with the, according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with the skillfulness of his hand. Hear me well. When your season of preferred and, and fulfilled prophecy comes, God knows where he left you. He knows how to come and get you and bring you to where he wants to take you. If he told you to stay in Jesse's house, stay there. Because when he comes to get you, he's going to find you in Jesse's house. But then he's going to bring you out of Jesse's house and you'll lead Judah. And then you'll lead Israel. I believe that there is unfulfilled prophecy in this church. And God said this is a season of fulfilled prophecy. So one of the things that a leadership team can do is go back and say, what has God said consistently? I call it prophetic consensus, where many prophets have said the same thing over and over again. I believe it's time to press into those prophecies in intercession, press into those prophecies for declaration and not put it off for a future time, but say, now's the time for the fulfillment of this thing. I believe this is a season. A fulfilled prophecy. You see, when the temple was finally built that David had prophesied that he wanted to build, God had spoken with his mouth. But now his hand was bringing the thing to path. And in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse number 4, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who hath with his hands fulfilled what he spake with his mouth to our father David. I believe that God speaks some things with his mouth that now's the time he wants to see it fulfilled with his hands. It's a time of fulfilled prophecy. Not only is it a time for fulfilled prophecy for this community, but it's also the time of fulfilled prophecy for you. What has God said to you that has not yet been fulfilled? I believe it's time for you to blow the dust off your prophecies and say now's the time. Final point. This is a time to enjoy the season of his presence. I can tell where you're going to be five years from now by three factors. The books that you read, the people that you associate with, and the time that you spend in the presence of God. The books that you read, the people that you associate with. The times you spend in the presence of God. These next points I'll speak as a narrative I've given you to reference. There's a time when Jesus needed his disciples, his core team, 
Peter, James, and John to know where, who he was. You know what he does? He takes them up on a mountain. And up on that mountain, he reveals himself. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. He opens up himself and he lets them see him. They get so excited that Peter, the aggressive one, he starts saying, man, he said, look at this. I see Moses and Elisha. He said, let's build three tabernacles, one to Moses, one to Elisha, one to Jesus. And then all of a sudden a voice comes. Oh, no, 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 no. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And Moses, the law disappears. Elisha, the prophets disappear. And now it's standing Jesus only. When they're coming down off that mountain, they're saying, man, it was good for us to have been here. And friends, time in his presence is transformational time. The musicians can come because one of the things I want you to hear right now is, friends, you and I can be in his presence no matter where we are. Because God is called omnipresent. Omnipresent means he's everywhere at all times. And any place he is does not diminish his presence any place that he is. And friends, he is everywhere at all times. It's not us bringing his presence and us being aware of his presence. You see, there is God's, what we pray for at our church. We say, God, let your conspicuous presence be in the sanctuary. Your conspicuous presence is that nobody has to stand up on a platform and say, God is here. Because everybody out there knows God is here. Your conspicuous presence is when God's presence is so obvious that everyone knows it. First Corinthians 14, when it talks about New Testament worship, says when you and I worship in that dimension and we move in prophecy and we create that atmosphere where God's conspicuous presence is there. It says even if someone who is unlearned comes in, even though they don't know what's going on, they'll say of a truth. God is in this place. One Sunday, we got real wild at our church, and uh, that's not uncommon. But we were worshiping God, and people started moving out and was waving banners around, and they were dancing. And unbeknownst to me, we had a first-time guest. And the person came up to me, and he says, you know, I go to a church of God vocal music only. And he said, I came in here at the invitation of a friend. He said, we don't have all of this going on in our church. And he said, and uh, he said, I don't know that I understand everything that went on in here. But then he made a statement. He said, but one thing I can't say, I feel God in this place. He had his son with him. And I said, well, what did you experience, son? He said, this was like a big pep rally to Jesus. And when God's conspicuous presence is there, even when people don't know the language, they can say, this is like a big pep rally to Jesus. And friends, I believe that this is season you're going to find waves of his presence in here. Sometime it will be his omnipresence, which is his quiet presence that we just know that he's with us. But there'll be other times and it'll be his conspicuous presence. We also talk about not only his manifested presence and his omnipresence and his conspicuous presence, but we also talk about his tangible presence. Some would call that his manifested presence. When God begins to show up and do things in people's lives on the spot, 
And they came in one way and they leave another way. I want you to experience moments of his presence because God wants you to be presence carriers every place you go. I had a lady in our church, she's a retired school teacher, and she was going in for back surgery. She had done so much work that she had uh, damaged a uh, disc in her back, was going in to get them fused, and she was going in, and I prayed for her the Sunday before. And she called the church, and she said, could somebody come up here and pray before I have surgery? I had so many commitments, I couldn't pray. So I asked my staff, I said, call one of our deacons and have them go. I have an older deacon. Her name is Eleanor Upshaw, and uh, she's a retired school teacher as well. And she says, oh, no, yeah, I know Flora. Eleanor went to the hospital, and Eleanor said, I don't know why, but she said, I was just singing this one song all the way over to the hospital. And she said, so when I went in, she said, I knew I had the song on my phone. And she said, and I just started worshiping in uh, Flora's room. And she said, I laid hands on Flora. And she said, we just worshiped together in the room. I laid hands on, we just worshiped to that song. She said, Pastor, God just showed up. The next morning I get a call and I said, it was from Flora. And I said, Flora, I said, I thought you were supposed to be in surgery. She said, Pastor, you won't believe what happened. I said, tell me. She said, Eleanor came up here and prayed and we just worshiped God. And she said, this morning they put in the IVs and everything. And she said, and they said, well, let's take an x-ray one more time just to make sure that what we uh, saw was what we need to do. And she said, they took one x-ray and they held it up and they said, excuse me, we're going to have to take one more x-ray. And they came back and they looked at the x-ray and she said, um, the nurse came in and said, we have an unexplained phenomenon. They said, we don't need to do this surgery. They started disconnecting IVs. They started bringing in papers for release. Flora was at home when she called me because somebody who is just a common person in the church but was abiding in his presence decided that they wanted to be a presence carrier into the community. Flora's up walking around now enjoying Jesus because God doesn't promote us because we're exalted. He takes the humble and he leads them to promotion. See, promotion comes to those that are humble. Humility attracts the very grace of God that brings promotion. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know that Jesus, though he was high, he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. In his humility, he came to us. He that was the holier came and dwelt among us as a man to identify with us, to bring us out of this bondage called sin. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And in his humanity, he came to us. In his resurrection, he abides with us. He has promised he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Hear me well. By his spirit, He's in us. He's in there. He's in there. I don't have to look for God way out there. He's in there. And in his ascension, he elevated us all. 
all of us, he wants to raise us to abundant life as a faith community. And humility precedes exaltation and elevation. And I want you to know this is a season in this church to elevate Jesus. Let him be the exalted one in this church. He is exalted. He is elevated. He is exalted. And as God begins to fulfill your prophecy, don't forget to exalt him. Pastor John read in Deuteronomy 8, when God says, when you come into the land and you're eating and you are full, don't think that my hand and my might got me this wealth. For it was God that gave us the power to get wealth. To establish his covenant. And when we're eating and we are full, then we ought to bless the Lord. We ought to give thanksgiving to God for 40 years. We ought to give thanksgiving to God through many dangers, toils, and snares. We have already come. T'was grace that led us thus far. Grace will lead us on. He resurrected so that we could be exalted out of the conditions that we're in. So enjoy a season of purpose and preparation. Enjoy a season of pursuing your goals and discovering your potential. Enjoy a season of processing through relationships. Enjoy a season of progress and promotion. Enjoy a season of fulfilled prophecy. And enjoy a season of his presence. For in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. All of my points began with P. If you didn't get one, just ask your neighbor. I'm sure they'll help you out. But I want to pray for us this morning. Listen, the first thing I'd like to pray for at this altar call is that there are some people that have had some word curses spoken on.